Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me is longtime friend of the show, friend in general, Ben DuBose, who covers the Rockets for USA Today and hosts the Loggerline podcast. Happy holidays, Ben, and happy New Year's Day bowl season. M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Glad to be on, Robert. Yeah, we got to throw that in there. We don't get much, much of a chance to do this as a Missouri fan over the years. But uh, um, big rocket story, Ben, right now, home and road splits. They look like two separate teams because mm-hmm. really they have two separate Jalen Greens. Home Jalen, yep. 22 points, 44.8% from the field. Road Jalen, 16.4 points on 40%. Um, the numbers in Wednesday's Nuggets game. Didn't fit the narrative, but he was awful in the first half. And by the time he showed up, the hole was too big. Plus, you and I know from watching Jalen, when he struggles offensively, the rest of his game suffers. Where are you on Jalen, Ben? Because my big picture concern is from the neck up. He just he doesn't handle yeah. adversity. It's got to be going downhill for him, for him to be go- going good. Yeah, I do think a lot of the inconsistency is mental, which is sort of a double-edged sword. I do think it's potentially fixable. It's going to challenge Ime Udoka, but if you believe in your head coach, I do think some of these habits can be improved. But the downside to it is that it's going to take a lot longer. If you believe it's mental, which I do, and you look at really his entire career fits into the same narrative going back to the last two years, he was much better at home than he was on the road, then it's going to take much longer than one month, no matter who the coach is, to iron that stuff out from everything that accumulated over the last two years of losing basketball. Because I'm right there with you. Look, the schedule has done the Rockets no favors. The Wednesday night game in Denver, night two of a back-to-back, no Fred Van Vliet, no Jay Sean Tate. That was a schedule loss. Nuggets had Jamal Murray back. They had Michael Porter Jr. making threes all over the court. Nikola Jokic doing what he does. That's a schedule loss. And then the four before that, look, you had the Mavericks with Luka and Kyrie. You had the Warriors with Steph. You had the Lakers with LeBron and AD. The Clippers with Kawhi, PG, and Harden. Those are teams that were at home, had a lot to play for, and quite frankly, they had what the Rockets don't have, which is a proven closer on the perimeter that you can go to late in a tight game to get you those tough baskets and get you over the finish line. And that's what the Rockets need from Jalen Green because in today's NBA – it's just so tough. The bar when you're a big man, like Alperen Shingun, to be truly the playmaker, the lead scorer down the stretch of a game, it's just a lot to ask. Even Joel Embiid, who's the reigning MVP of the league, when you look at last season's playoff run, it was generally James Harden and to a lesser extent Tyrese Maxey who were initiating the offense late in games. It's just so tough in today's NBA, the way it's officiated for your big man to lead your team in those settings. And Fred Van Fleet, say what you will about his defense, his leadership, his passing. He's not someone that can really create his own offense in the half court when it gets sticky, at least not on a consistent basis. That's what you need Jalen Green, your 6'5", 6'6", explosive guard to do. And again, for a lot of reasons, it just seems to come at home much more easily than it does on the road. I I do think a lot of it is mental. You can see when something doesn't go his way on the road. And, you know, I think the Rockets in some of these games have not gotten a friendly whistle. There's also been some turnovers, like that really bad live ball when he had with about five minutes left in the Dallas game. It just seems like whenever something doesn't go Jalen's way, he sort of goes into a shell. And I think this narrative has been sort of undersold on social media a little bit because people will look at the raw shot totals and say, oh, he's still being aggressive. No, you can't tell how aggressive or assertive someone is just through looking at the box score. Even if he puts up 15, 20 shots, if those shots are 20 plus footers that are contested and he's not driving into the paint, he's not trying to get to the free throw line, he's not trying to draw defenders and perhaps kick it to somebody else for a better shot. You can still put up a long distance shot and not be aggressive enough. And I think that's what happens a lot with Jalen. It's just so easy, especially early in careers. Anytime there's a high volume scorer type, you hear this Mamba mentality get thrown out. It's a lot more complex than that. When we talk about Mamba mentality, going back to Kobe Bryant, it's about being aggressive at all times, not being rattled, always being ready to strike. And with Jalen, it just doesn't feel that way. And in the game last night that you referenced, Robert, Even though he had the really nice overall stat line, 
it's worth noting that when he had that explosion in the third quarter, it was basically a band between a 10-point margin and about a 17- or 18-point margin. There wasn't a ton of game pressure in that situation. There was never a point in which you felt like the Rockets were really in this game. And so, to me, that's the big challenge for Jalen. We see what he can do when he has it rolling, when the vibes are great. And I think at home, you know, it's not just the, the players and coaches. Obviously, they're with him on the road, but you get a friendlier whistle. You have your friends, your fans out in the stands. It's just easy to sort of push through and believe that even if you have a slow start like he did in the home game against Denver last weekend and certainly the Memphis game before that, then, okay, I'm going to keep playing and I'll pick it up. On the road, it feels like for whatever reason, if things don't go well, he largely goes into a shell. The Denver game did not fit into that because he did have a nice third quarter. But again, the margin sort of puts a bit of an asterisk on that for me. What I want to see from Jalen is – on the road against a legitimate opponent, getting the Rockets to the finish line. That's what they need, the way this roster is constructed. And to this point, again, like you can't dismiss the highs, even with these lows that we're referencing for the season as a whole. He's averaging about 20 points a game, true shooting percentage of 56, which is up a a couple notches from last year. There is something there to work with. And when you see games like the Memphis game, like the Lakers game a couple of weeks before that, when the highs are that high, it would be silly to be out of the Jalen Green business at this point. But it is fair to have legitimate concerns, which I do. And again, at this point, I just want to see him actually in a meaningful game late in the second half take over down the stretch on the road and get the Rockets to the finish line. That's the big question I have with Jalen right now. Yeah, and besides neck up stuff, that, and there's a lot I'm worried about him from the neck up, a couple of things. You know, where's the floater? John Morant, same size about as Jalen, doesn't have the physicality when he gets to the rim. He developed the floater. And look, Jalen, we know what his game is. It's taking tough threes, which is a hard thing to live with, taking 18-footers, which he's not a good enough shooter, has never proven that he's a good enough shooter. He's very streaky. And unless that changes, he's not that. So where where can he get the points easier? And it's, you know, every time he goes to the middle, it's I'm going to try to dunk over these guys or try to lay it up over two guys. And they just, they see it coming and he doesn't have that floater that John Moran has. Yeah. And I know some will point out that unlike the last couple of years, they now have a true point guard in Fred Van Fleet, and so maybe that makes it tougher for him to get in a rhythm. I'm not sure I buy that. I mean, this is the way 90% of teams in the NBA are run. Most teams do not have Kevin Porter Jr., so I sort of push back on this idea that, oh, Jalen would be a step forward if he were just getting the ball much more frequently as opposed to having to feel out his way in this role where, you know, he does get some on-ball creation reps, but he's asked to do a lot of things off the ball as well. I think that's a little bit simplistic. Again, most young prospects in the NBA deal with some sort of traditional point guard-led system, and that's what Jalen is in now. So I don't think that's a really huge hindrance. I agree with you on the floater. I would say that in general, what I want to see more from him free throw attempts and assist. And he did have more assists against the Nuggets. Let's give him credit. But to this point, the free throw attempts per game are down from year two and the assists per game are down from year two. I don't like that. And that's where I go back to what we were talking about earlier when it comes down to, you know, wanting to see him be more aggressive, more assertive. You hear that thrown out all the time in NBA discourse to the point where it loses its meaning. Again, I think that's because some people just look strictly at shot attempts. No, it's not about how many shots he takes. It's where they are taken. It's how they are taken. And so what I want to see from Jalen, because so much of his inconsistency is because of that shot profile, which is what you were explaining. He takes so many long contested threes, more difficult shots. I think that plays into all the variability from game to game. However, if you can get him going downhill more using that athleticism, yes, the floater would help me to unlock another layer of that. But beyond that, drive into the paint and get free throws or kick the ball out to a guy in the corner or on the wing for a better shot. Those are plays in which it might not even register as a shot attempt on his box score. So a lot of people may not think of that as being aggressive. But to me, that is being aggressive. That's what you want to see more from him not settling, getting to the rack, using his elite athleticism and burst. For some reason, it's taken a step back from a year ago, and I don't think it's fair just to put it all on Fred Van Vliet and saying 
that, you know, Jalen's not getting quite the touches he did a year ago. No, this is not that uncommon of a system. It's just on Jalen to adjust and get better. Yeah, sometimes I don't even feel like he understands mismatches. You know, he gets like a Luka or a Jokic on him and he didn't know, didn't know what to do with it. But let's go to Jabari because I've loved 99.9% of what Udoka has done. However, my biggest gripe is getting bigger and bigger by the day. And this is what I'm talking about. This team's upside this year moving forward. It's based on three guys right now, Jalen, Shangoon, and Jabari, the rookies. We'll put him aside for the moment. And I assume going back to July, July that Jabari would play backup center and we'd be regularly running plays for him in the mid to low post and bench units. That's his best skill. Yeah. Instead, Udoka's tried to jam down my throat, Dacian, Nicks, Landell early on. And then we see Jabari. That a little. Uh, but but still, he just shouldn't even be touching the court. And then we see yeah. Jabari buried in the corner like P.J. Tucker. Ben, Jabari's the second best offensive weapon, especially efficiently right now. What are you hearing around the team? What am I missing here? On paper, he's an ideal floor spacer for Shingun and Jalen. However, I think some of this sort of goes back to the split between the scouting report on Jabari and what your eyes are actually telling you when you watch him on the floor. A lot of us, when Jabari first entered the NBA a year ago, were counting on him to be this 3 and D type. When in reality, if you're watching the games, Jabari seems to be at his best. And this is not an insignificant sample. The Rockets, as we're recording, are 8-8. Eight and eight. That's 16 games in. That's a pretty decent chunk out of the 82-game slate. And where he's at his best seems to be operating in the mid-post and taking some of those fallaways. Those, you know, the guy that I see most in Jabari when I look at his offensive profile right now, and this is if it all pans out. This is in terms of a realistic upside scenario is LaMarcus Aldridge. The three-point shot, I mean, it has been better the last couple of weeks, but I wouldn't necessarily consider him a marksman. But where I think Jabari shows his most promise, like LaMarcus Aldridge, is in those turnarounds, that mid-range game, and you could just see as he builds strength over the years, that turning from a good shot, which it is now, into a lethal one, because at his length and his ability to rise and fire in traffic, and then you put on a little more bulk. It's got to happen gradually because you don't want him to lose quickness and burst. But over the years, I could see a LaMarcus Aldridge-type career path and hopefully with you know better three-point shooting, although LMA did develop that towards the end of his career in the NBA. And it is sort of difficult because if Jabari is in the starting lineup, then you've got a traditional point guard in Fred Van Fleet, or something close to one at least. You've got Jalen Green and Alperin Shingun. So you've got a lot of on-ball creation types. And so it does sort of pigeonhole Jabari into sort of an off-ball shooter role. I don't I don't need him to be the, the center of the offense when those guys are on the floor, especially when Shingun, you want Shingun in the mid post and you want him to take that. But, there but are yeah, you're talking staggering the minutes. Yeah. Yeah, there are, yeah, and there are matchups where maybe, you know, Jabari might have a matchup that's better than Shangoon on a particular night, or we're starting to see Shangoon's getting more attention. They're starting to yes. get wise to him. So that might be where you go to Jabari. And I just yeah. don't feel like whether it's Jabari, if he doesn't have the ego, Ben, that says, hey, put me in the post. I want the ball in the post and forget all this other stuff. Or it's basically Leo Doka saying no. But I mean, it, I mean, I watched... I'm, I want to throw stuff at the TV the last few games when I see Jabari's in the game, Shane Goon's out, and Van Vliet's running a pick and yep. roll up top with Jeff Green with Jabari buried in the corner when Jabari's the best option yep. on the offense. I will say that I do think that there's been a moderate increase. I don't have the data right in front of me, but in Jabari's mid-post opportunities the last few games, it's still not high enough. I agree with you. I just do think it's gone up a little bit from earlier in the season. Generally speaking, though, you're right. I mean, he's getting to a point, especially with the inconsistency of Jalen Green, where a lot of nights he's your second best creator in terms of being able to regularly get his shot amongst that starting unit. Because if Jalen's off, and we know Fred at his size and a lot of matchups, it's tough for him to do a ton one-on-one. Jabari oftentimes is 
option two behind Shingun. So you don't want to just stick him in the corner. And if Shingun's not on the floor, then he may be your option one, depending on how Jalen is playing a lot of nights. I said the other night after the Dallas game, which was a tough loss given the end season tournament elimination, that long term, I felt like when you look at this nucleus, Shingun and Jabari are going to be very good starters at a minimum, hopefully more than that. And Fred and Dylan already are. The question is beyond that. And yet, when you look at the Rockets' resource allocation, despite the fact that Jabari is clearly in that quartet, and I suppose you could throw Tari Eason in there as well, although he's still on something of a minutes limitation coming off the stress reaction in his leg, despite all the optimism and everyone I talk to within the Rockets, they tell you, and this goes back to the offseason, you should not worry about Jabari at all. Between the layers to his game, between the work ethic, the intelligence. I think internally, the Rockets probably view Jabari as having the highest floor of any of their prospects in terms of just not being able to miss. Will he be a superstar? I mean, there's a lot of ifs that go into that. But in terms of being, at a bare minimum, a very good player, a winning player on a good team, I think the Rockets are as sold on Jabari as anyone from their young core, perhaps a Ben Thompson, the one guy who rivals him for that spot. And yet for a guy who is viewed internally as that trustworthy, that can't miss the fact that there are games in which he doesn't see the ball except for a shot or two per quarter from the wing or the corner. It it is a little bit frustrating. I'm right there with you. One thing that I do sort of just have an inkling in the back of my mind, think that, might help this situation moving forward as the Rockets get closer to the trade deadline. And you're going to hear a lot about the potential for consolidation moves. They've got all these tradable salaries, Victor Oladipo, obviously the non-guaranteed deals to Jock Landale and Jeff Green. And you can add those together for a salary of significance. One guy I would not be surprised to see the Rockets cash out on, and I'm not saying they should, he's having a very good year, but it's Jay Sean Tate, specifically because Tate, for all of his strengths, number one, those strengths are going to be attractive to other contenders. So you, you might can get some real value for him as part of a package. And the other factor is that Tate's minutes do complicate what you can do with Jabari and Tari to some extent. As this season progresses, I think the Rockets want uh, Tari in particular to play more than the 15 to 20 minutes per game he's getting now. Again, it's okay now because they're still building back his durability. But I think long-term, they want Tari to play more. They would like Jabari to play a bit more. You mentioned using him as a backup five and also in different ways. I do think you could clear up that log jam a little bit if you use Jayshon Tate as part of a package. Again, I, I don't want people to think that I'm saying trade Tate for the sake of trading him. No, he's having a very good season. He's a great defender. He's the ultimate glue guy winning player. But when you look at how the roster is constructed and trying to find more minutes, more opportunities for Tari and Jabari and eventually roles for Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore, it would not shock me if the Rockets try to cash out on Jay Sean Tate, who still has a favorable contract as well in this dynamic, so that as you get down the home stretch of this season and then get towards next year, which is when the Rockets are really going to be trying to win, then there's more of a clear path to minutes for these young guys that we've been talking about. And you led me right into what I was going to talk about with Tari, because he leads the Rockets in plus minus by one whole point over Van Vliet, which is a lot of the Rockets. Reg- and by the way, they're five and four with Tari. So it's not like he's just been playing since they've been winning. They've had some losses in there. He's even plus eight in the Denver game, which is nuts. Of the Rockets regulars last year, he led them in plus minus. And even on a night, they get blown out by Denver. You know, we see it. Sure, Tari has his weaknesses. And I can say for, and can be, let's say, a little overzealous (laughs) at times. Uh, and, And I get that. They've been easing him back from the injury as well. Too. And, and Ben, I, with all that in mind, do you believe the organization understands his impact on winning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they told me during the offseason, whenever I would talk to people in the front office, they would mention, it was funny because they tell me each conversation, it's almost like, did you forget you told me this the last time? But that by their models, probably was either the best or second best rookie in the NBA last year. I think the other one was uh, Walker Kessler. But their metrics graded him out incredibly favorably. Now, I do think that besides the injury, one thing to keep in mind that I do wonder about is that because Tari's game 
is so at, at this point of his career. Now, I do think he's going to develop more. But at this point, his game is so built around the hustle plays, the relentless energy and motor. A 20 minutes per game backup role against other reserves, that's ideal for that to shine. How does that extrapolate to, say, 30 to 35 minutes per night? I don't know. That's a fair question. But at some point, you do need to try. I, I want to make a point. I looked at the numbers last year. There were games where he got 30 yeah. minutes. There were games where he got – he did better. He was better when yeah. he got more minutes. I will say the one thing that I do have some concerns about with with Tari is the shooting. I know he works on it, but the three-point figure last year, I do question with the form just how sustainable that is, and that was a question of his on the scouting report. But look, to this point, I mean, at some point, you've got to – you've got to roll with what the data says. It reminds me a little bit of how everyone was so worried about KJ Martin and whether he could shoot. And it's sort of like, well, look, at some point, the numbers don't lie. He is going to be respected as a floor spacer to some degree if he's shooting X percent and opposing coaches and players look at the scouting report and say, look, this guy is capable of hitting that shot. So it is sort of in the back of my mind, you know, this question of how good he is as a three-point shooter, because if he's not, then that would put a little bit of a ceiling on what his value is. But I do think that, I guess, number one, the majority of his career was obviously last season. And so to this point, the overall three-point shooting numbers are are still there. And at some point, you've got to defer to the numbers rather than, you know, scouting reports or... I'm, I mean, we're, we're in I year test. three of Jalen Green... And Jalen Green's numbers don't improve. We're keep expecting them to improve. He's got yeah, so yeah, many yeah, more exactly. minutes. He's got like four times as many minutes as Tari and a bunch more chances to screw up. Give Tari some opportunities. It is, he's at the beginning of his second year. His three-point shooting can get better. In the NBA, it's always a transition. And yet the numbers he's putting up still are good. As, and I don't want to hear about four. And I didn't realize this, the sample is so small, but he's shooting 40% on threes this year. So it's even better. Uh, last year, he's above 34, which uh, impressed me a little bit. I, I would have guessed this year it was about the same. No, it's a small sample, only 1.7 attempts per game. And of course, he's only played nine games, but he's shooting 40% right now. So yeah, not only has it not taken a step back, um, I, I would not have guessed it based on the eye test again, because it's so the sample is so small, but it's actually gotten better this year. So yeah, at some point you've got to stop. And this is sort of, this is the tricky thing with young players. You talked about it with Jalen and I talked about it a few minutes ago with Jabari. At what point do you deviate from the scouting report and things that going into a season you think you know about these players versus what the actual product on the floor is, what the numbers actually are. And this is another case where, and one thing I will say you hear a lot around the NBA is the 20 game mark, the 20 game mark, which I think the Rockets are going to be approaching in the next week to 10 days is a point where a lot of teams sort of take stock of where they are. And at that point, you're a quarter of the way into the season and say that, Hey, some of this may not be just randomness or somebody's hot or cold, but there's actually some substance to the sample. We may be getting to a point with some of these players on the Rockets that we've been discussing that, Hey, even if you didn't necessarily expect this to be the way they shot or played going into the season, at this point, the data doesn't lie. It is what it is. And so with Chari, yeah, I'm right there with you. I will say for now, they are concerned about that uh, stress reaction in his leg. The Dallas-Denver back-to-back was the first time he's played in a back-to-back since coming back. So I don't think they're going to do anything drastic with Chari. I think it's going to be more of a gradual build. But again, I do think that between his ascension and Jabari being needed to use the Rockets needing to use him in different ways, as we were just discussing, I do think that that might can contribute to their openness to looking for a Jay Sean Tate deal as we get closer to January and February. Yeah, and reality starting to hit him in the face. Like, if you want this team to get better, the young guys have to get better. And the, for the young guys to get better, they got to play more and you got to put them more in those opportunities. And this brings me to Fred Van Vliet. He's averaging over 37 minutes per game. It's a Probably a big reason why he missed the Nuggets game because, I mean, he's racking up minutes quickly. Is this only about Amen Thompson being out, or could Udoka keep this up and run the tread off Van Vliet a little bit? Yeah, I do think that a lot of it is is Amen Thompson. And it's funny because a lot of the case for optimism with Fred over the offseason 
we know a year ago he had one of his worst shooting seasons, not just overall, but from three-point range over his years in Toronto. And a, lo- and a lot of the thinking was that Nick Nurse really overused him. And the thought was that you get him to Houston and the efficiency is going to tick back up once the minutes are kept more in check. And now, you know, through 16 games, it's largely Ime doing th- the same thing. But I will say the Rockets are extraordinarily high on Amen. Like my personal view, and I could be wrong, it hasn't been spelled out to this level of detail and nuance, but I get the sense that they view Amen as the highest upside guy in the entire organization. And unlike the last couple of years when Jalen and Jabari came in and they were high first-run picks, but there was a steep learning curve when it came to contributing on both ends of the court and being a so-called winning player. Amen really impressed them in training camp with how he reads the game on both ends and his ability to truly make a two-way impact immediately. And I think that's something where you have to look at the margins and most of the Rockets games, they're eight and eight, most of the wins, most of the losses have been competitive. When Fred is available, even though Aaron Holiday has been better than expected, it's tough to justify running Aaron over Fred if Fred is theoretically available to come into a game in the second half and it's there for the taking. And, you know, we have seen a few moments of Fred and Aaron playing together, but by and large, Aaron's been his backup. As opposed to when Amin is available, I do think there's going to be games where if he has it going on a given night, there may be a lower floor, but the ceiling with Amin is so high that, Ime is willing to say, you know what, I'll let this ride for two or three more minutes and thus, you know, keep Fred's minutes in check in a way that he's not now when the only realistic alternative is Aaron Holiday. So I will say that as Amen ramps back up and it sounds like in the next week or so he is going to go on a rehab assignment with the Vipers, I think he's someone that Rockets fans are perhaps underselling right now in terms of his ability to, you know, make an impact this season. Because going into this year, the Rockets planned on him having a very key role. And it's easy to forget because he only played three and a half games, and two of those were just those dreadful games in Orlando and San Antonio to start the year. Well, San Antonio wasn't dreadful, but they blew the game late. Those games against the Kings, it looked like he was just finding his footing, and all of a sudden he goes out, and then the schedule eases up. They rack up all these wins, and now there's just this sort of thought of, well, do you need him? He's a rookie. They typically don't contribute to winning. No, internally, the Rockets are very bullish on Amen. I think he's someone that could reduce Fred's minutes in a way that Aaron Holiday just doesn't have the trust from Ime to do. And another thing that Amen could do to sort of tie our conversation to take it full circle, they're bullish on the way that Fred and Amen can play together as well with Fred potentially taking more of an off-ball role and perhaps using him off-ball, even if the minutes are the same, if the usage goes down, maybe that's less wear and tear on his body. At least that's the hope, and then you get better efficiency. If Jalen doesn't pick it up, there's a world where a man might eat into Jalen's minutes, even though they're different types of players. A man obviously much more ball-dominant, not nearly the shooter at this point that Jalen is. At the same time, the Rockets do believe in a man and Fred's ability to play together. I think that's part of the appeal to signing Fred Van Vliet when that deal became official a week after the draft. And so I do think Amen, you know, he's a useful hedge for Fred that could tamp down both the minutes and the usage. But I also think that Amen beyond that is someone that could be sort of a useful hedge to, to Jalen Green as well. And that's part of why I think the Rockets the last couple of weeks, it just feels like sort of sink or swim. They've got to just rely on Fred and Jalen and just sort of go as those players go in terms of perimeter creation. One more point I want to get in on the rookies, because I'm sure some will listen to that and say, well, what about Cam Whitmore, who had a nice finish to the game in Denver, and he's looked great with the Vipers. Internally, the Rockets viewed Cam as much more raw in terms of his, I guess, processing speed, all the little things we're talking about in terms of being a contributor to winning. They like him long-term. They see the athleticism. They see the power. They see the unique package. But in terms of year one, they were always bullish on a men making an early impact. They were not very bullish about Cam making that type of early impact. So I would just say that while it's not impossible for Cam to eventually force his way into, you know, some year one lineup considerations, it's a longer shot. It goes back into into sort of the theme we've said a few times, which is 
you know, you're trying to balance both the data what you're, and the eye test, what you're seeing on the floor with the scouting reports, with what you thought about these players going into the year. And with Cam, there was a bit of a headwind. They did not think that he was as ready as opposed to Amen. They did think he was ready. And so because of that, when he comes back, sure, the minutes are going to be limited, but he's in a backup role anyway, so I'm not sure how much that's really going to matter. They did trust him in going into the year. And so because of that, I do think there's there's a greater likelihood than people, at least on my timeline, seem to think that when a man comes back, you know, it can materially change the minutes and usage for Fred and Jalen just a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, a man's two years older than Cam, so that's part of it right. too, I'm sure. And to circle back to Jabari, by the way, you know, Jabari's, I know you pointed this out in the past about the youngest guy in his entire draft class. And so, yeah, like he's, even though he's a year more advanced than the NBA, he's a year younger than a men. So yeah, that's a very good point that a men's age should make him more ready on top of everything else. Yeah. As far as him as a point guard, I'm kind of surprised. I don't want to belabor this, but just real quick, I'm just surprised at what a bad dribbler he has got a bad handle. handle. Yeah. I think some of that comes with the height. I think, you know, I I agree with you. I saw the same things early in the year, but I think that's something where going into the NBA, when you're a taller point guard, and obviously there's more room for that dribble to, you know, go up and down, the type of athletes that that defend at the NBA level, the combination of athletes and advanced scouting makes it a lot more difficult to to pull off. He's just sometimes he's just lost it, you know. It just like hadn't even been somebody. It just it, it yeah, looks but, like and a some piece of, of nerves too. But yeah, I it's agree. A I saw it. Piece yeah. of butter or something, and it wasn't on a scouting report that I had heard. It, you know, last thing, real quick. I'm not going to make you explain the Jock Landell thing because I'm guessing you can. It's sort of like the Northern Lights, where none of us understand it. I, I come out of the D'Antoni school where it's better to play no setter than a bad center. Yeah. What I'm having a harder time with is the Reggie Bullock minutes because while, I mean, I just can't explain the land all thing, Reggie Bullock minutes, it's not like there isn't an alternative. And let's forget Cam for a sec. What confuses me is why not Nate Williams? Every time he plays preseason or regular season, he makes good things happen. He can shoot. And Reggie Bullock just He's not, you know, getting rebounds. He's not doing other. There's nothing that he does. And we know Reggie Bullock's history. He doesn't shoot till January anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't get this. What I will say is that Reggie Bullock has only played in five games in November. So it's not as if he's played that much. But I, I do agree with you that even within that very limited sample and the only time he's played even double digit minutes in the last three weeks was the Denver game. And that was with both Fred and Jay Sean out on night two and back to back. So I do. Think but he that, was playing in the Denver game, like important early minutes. Whereas, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that what, happened because of the injuries, but yes, relative to Nate Williams. Yeah. I said on Twitter earlier in the day that I thought that Nate would be the guy who was most directly impacted by no Fred and Jay Sean. And obviously I was wrong. It was Bullock. I'm just saying, I think that's a little bit, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill because obviously you should be available in terms of Fred and uh, JT moving forward. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think there's probably some trust in that, you know, Reggie, even though he's 32, he is still a decent defender and he has, has a great track record on that side with Nate. That's supposed to be something of a weakness. But again, a lot of this just comes back to, and I hope they adapt, but it goes back to the same discussion we've been having of actual data, actual eye test versus the scouting report. And with Jock Landell, they've taken down his minutes, but when they signed Jock in the offseason, they were really bullish. This was a guy who played well for Phoenix in the playoffs last year. The Suns used Landale against Nikola Jokic when DeAndre Ayton was too soft. And I think some of it with Landale is that he's just not healthy. That bad ankle sprain that he had for Team Australia in the World Cup preliminary games, I don't think he's ever gotten right. And that's another reason why the Rockets are being so conservative with the men. An ankle injury can definitely linger if you try and ramp a guy back up too soon. You need to let that, we're talking about a grade two sprain, fully heal. But I just think that the Rockets had high expectations for Jack Lando going into the year. And to an extent, even though he was a buyout signing in early October, the same could be said for Reggie Bullock. And so I think we're still early enough in the year where you can make some case for, hey, the sample is really small. We're 16 games in, and they sort of want to trust 
their evaluation in the offseason in terms of this is what the guy should give us based on our scouting, based on his career history. But yeah, I'm right there with you in that, in the sense that, look, we're 16 games in, the sample isn't small anymore. So it should be happening relatively soon, even though it hasn't already. The hard conversation should be happening that, hey, even if we think that we were going to get this version of Jock Landale or this version of Reggie Bullock, maybe they're just not those players anymore. And so you've got to deal with what you've got. And in terms of what you've got, yeah, the D'Antoni parallel is a great example. You'd rather go with no center than a bad center. So roll with Jeff Green, which to their credit, they've been increasingly doing a bit more of using Jeff as the backup five. And in the case of Reggie Bullock, in those bit minutes that are available to him, yeah, perhaps Nate Williams is better, a guy who's taken advantage of what limited opportunities he's gotten at the NBA level. So I would just say, like, as we're getting close to the quarter mark of the season, I think that's one of those little subtle things that you may see, or at least I hope you see Udoka do over the coming weeks is sort of turn the page from. He's going to do it probably, but here's the thing, Ben, I heard from Udoka. Oh, it's not going to matter. The guys that earn it will play. He made a big deal about that. Aaron holiday goes in for Jalen green when he sucks. Jabari gets replaced by Jeff Green when he sucks. When Jock Landell sucks game after game and Reggie Bullock sucks game after game, those guys, I don't, I know they're just getting a small amount of minutes, but three or four minutes, three or four shots in games that the Rockets, how many close, close to game. wire games have they had that look right now in the NBA, it's a razor thin difference between yeah. some of these teams and on these nights and Udoka Stick up, tell, you know, stick to what you told us. If you said yeah. guys were going to have to earn it, it wasn't going to be because they were vets or it wasn't going to be because they had all this super talent. Well, dude, I, I need to see you do that as the coach and adjust. Yeah. Well, I do think the difference there is that when we're talking about reducing minutes for a Jalen or Jabari type, they still had a substantial amount of, opportunities in those games it's not like you just didn't play them no it's that they ended up playing you know 25 minutes per game instead of 35 you know what i mean 10 minutes yeah i I know what you're getting at but what the difference is here is that when we're talking about a a sample that's so small for a landale or bullock type it's literally the difference between five to ten minutes and zero and so when we're talking about literally zero and having these guys just rot on the bench and never get reps it is sort of like giving up on those guys because they're not going to have opportunities to get in. Giving up on their just guys that you're going to trade anyway, or they're not going to be around here long term. Like Maybe, giving up on what? You know, I guess I, you, I guess you can say that, but but what I will say is that, especially with Landale, he's someone the Rockets legitimately believed in in the off season. Like not at a starter level. Let's not get crazy, but they believed in don't, him being a solid. Don't NBA tell me that player. contract wasn't one that they were looking. Yeah, for sure, you know, human TPE, that's a big part of it. But they also and didn't the more, believe in him as a player. And the same and thing, the like, more, with The more Bullock, you play him, the more yeah. you play uh, him and he looks terrible, Landell, the the more it looks like you're just dumping off a salary to another team. I mean, it, it, it's it's well, almost point, compounding. It's yeah, I mean it I mean, yeah. I mean that's that's what it looks like. And with and with Bullock, I would point out that there were reports that a number of other teams were interested once he got his buyout. A lot of contenders wanted him when the Spurs bought him out. Of course he played a key role with the Mavs the last couple of years. And my guess is that the Rockets sort of told Bullock and his agent, we're gonna give you you know, they're not gonna guarantee minutes, but say we're gonna give you a realistic opportunity to play because otherwise he's, you know, a ring chasing type at this stage of his career, 32, 33 years old. So I do think there's some degree of, in both of those cases, not wanting to go to literally zero. I think that's the distinction. But, you know, your point is well taken in that the margins of NBA games are really, really small. And the margin, just at the league as a whole, between good and average and average and bad is as small as I've seen it in a while. And so even if we're talking about just a few possessions, a few shot attempts, then, yeah, that can be enough potentially to swing a game. So I agree with you fundamentally. I would just say that for them, I do think there's, you know, a bit of reticence this early in the year to completely pull the plug on those guys. I think and hope 
they will in the relatively near future if there's not a big uptick. Although we should note that Bullock played decently against the Nuggets, so we'll give him his flowers for that. But um, I just think we're talking about literally to zero. That's where they might be a little bit more hesitant to truly pull the plug in the first 15 games. But generally speaking, I mean, you're right on the money in terms of the impact on a game and how those little margins can swing it. And so I do, while I'm sort of understanding of the way they've played it to this point, I do agree with you that, you know, I would not play Jack Landale or Reggie Bullock in meaningful minutes moving forward based on what they showed. Yeah, and, and it's what I'm saying is there's just better options on the Rockets bench, I believe, number one. And number two, the other part about this is, look, you, you signed them as veterans to help out the young guys, too. And it's, so just because they're not playing doesn't mean they're, they're not contributing. True. And, you know, that, that's that's what these all these veterans can do. You know, Jack Landell's been around for a while, played professional basketball. Reggie Bullock, obviously, has been around for a long time. So, I mean, it's just it's so frustrating because. Yeah, these games are decided. The Rock- so many of the Rockets games have been decided. The Clippers game, the Lakers game, the the Mavericks game, they're all like in the la- I mean not the Mavericks game but uh Clippers game, Lakers game, Golden State's, you know, the, the last few minutes it's been close and you know, Mavericks just, game was too. Makes- yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just all of that stuff just it 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 bugs me because you know, I'm just I'm reminded my um What's his name? Chris Vernon. Nobody likes Chris Vernon, I know, in the Rockets community, but Chris Vernon with the ringer, you know, his one of his big philosophies is don't play guys that suck. And the more guys that you play that suck in your rotation, it it, it just, you know, it's it's not good. And and, and those guys just stink. And, and I mean, I, I just thought we were over that when we forced Jay, Jay Sean Hicks. And look, Jock Landell, we do have a veteran we could play instead of him. Boban has played better. He's better. Right now, the job well, is not better Jack defensively, Land- but yeah, at least he can make a layup. Yeah, I, I do think better defensively. Jock Landell's been terrible defensively. Guys are scoring him at, at will. He's not getting rebound. He's he's been terrible. No, no, any way you slice it, Jock Landell has been awful. And Boban, for whatever you think about him defensively, just his presence scares guys away from shots. I guess. Yeah, yeah I, I did want to hit hit home the veteran point because I do think that's a difference. Some of the young guys to get penalized with minutes like Jalen and Jabari, again, it's not anywhere close to zero. It's because you're building or trying to build the right habits with guys like Bullock and Landale, who are veterans who have been there, done that. I do think that there's some benefit of the doubt from Ime being given to guys who have in the past proven that they can contribute to winning because Again, compared to guys like Jalen and Jabari that haven't done it yet, then I do think that's sort of a, an extra feather in the cap, if you will, that even if they're playing poorly, at least they know what they're doing. They're trying. They know what it takes to win at the highest level, and it's just a matter of whether they're physically capable of still doing that. But, yeah, I mean, Landell's been undoubtedly terrible on both ends. You're right about that. I still think he might be a little bit better than, uh, than Boban simply because he's more mobile and – he can set better screens and defensively he has more tools, but yeah, I mean, at some point you, you can have all the tools and if the execution isn't there, then, you know, at some point you are what your tape says, you are what your numbers say. And at this point he's been terrible. So, you know, I can't argue with you that Boban would certainly have not been worse to this point. I will say that, you know, if I had to pick one guy between Boban and Landale to play moving forward, I would still pick Landale because I do think there's more upside there. However, my real preference, and this is the direction I I think the Rockets will go, is neither. Because I don't think you have to play a center just for the sake of having a center. I think you can do some combination of Jeff Green and Jay Shantade and Jabari Smith sliding to the five. And just, you know, it's not like most NBA teams have a true backup five or at least a super physical one there's not that many post players in the league to begin with anymore. So not even sure how important that role actually is. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't get, look, I, like I said, I have gotten nothing about what he's doing at backup center and why it's not Ben Jabari and either Jeff green or Jay Sean Tate or whoever you want to put, put next to him. And those guys, if there is a big guy, look, I, I also say this, if you're worried about, Jabari Smith getting eaten up in the post at, at the center as a backup center. If some other team is decided our offense is going to be our backup center against Jabari Smith, then basically 
you've won the game because there's not many teams out there. Like we're, we're not, this isn't 1995. Okay. And, and if, if you're going to try to beat Jabari with some backup center, that's how you're going to beat the Rockets in backup minutes. Then it's, then whatever. And Jock Landell, you said, you know, well, he's got a history. He's got one playoffs. He was playing with Durant and Trevor and Booker and what, I mean, it's, it's one playoff. That's what he's, his, you know, if you've got a few good games in, in your NBA career in the playoffs or whatever, that's not a whole like resume. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I just, it, the whole thing frustrates me. And, and, and I, I hate, I hate coaches that gets, that get so big into veterans when they're terrible. Like, if young, yeah. like when veterans aren't doing anything for you on either end, it doesn't matter if the young guys are screwing up on one end, they might be making something good happen on the other end. They might be doing three or four other things. It's like, it's, it's like the Tari Eason thing that bugs the crap out of me. Yeah. Tari Eason, he commits a stupid foul. Sometimes he, bl- he smokes a layup. He's not good around the rim. Sometimes all of that stuff, you know, he makes his share of boneheaded plays, but if, if Tari's making nine plays that are great and two or three plays that are bad, then who cares? And he's, and he's learning, let him learn and make some mistakes. And we're not competing for a championship. I don't care what Udoka has in his head. This is not a championship team. So like you, you got to play these guys that can develop over and look, you could say, well, Nate Williams is a nobody, but he's 24 years old and maybe he can develop into a really good bench player. And it looks like he he has some of those capabilities. I mean, the guy can shoot, he can score. He He's all over the place, you know, as far as like grabbing rebounds, hustling, all of that stuff. Like, I'm, unless there's something I'm totally missing when I watch him, unless he is literally missing, he doesn't understand play calls or doesn't understand rotations or something like that. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense to me yeah. because Reggie, Bullock's, uh, Reggie Bullock might understand rotations, but who cares if you understand rotations, but you're not affecting the game. You're yeah. there, but the guy's still shooting over the top of you and scoring or blowing by you and score. I just don't get it. Yeah. Now, in fairness to Ime, I just pulled up the data. Last night in Denver was the first time that Wendell's played more than seven minutes in a game in three weeks. So we're talking about really, really small numbers here. But I do understand where you're coming from and that even if he plays four or five minutes in a game, he just comes in for early in the second quarter, doesn't play in the second half when it's winning time or whatever. You can lose the game in those four or five minutes in the second quarter when the margins are that thin. You know, I think that's a fair point. I would just say that it's not as if there hasn't been any adjustment at all. They have been taking those minutes down. But I think the bigger takeaway, and I'm I'm right there with your larger point, Play Jeff Green, play the younger guys. One of the suggestions I see a lot on uh, social media that I'm not a huge fan of, I've seen a lot of talk, you know, as you get closer to December 15th and leading into trade season, because that's the date that players who signed to the offseason can be dealt around the league. It opens up all the possibilities. In the case of the Rockets, it's also going to be the 60-day deadline uh, or 60-day aggregation waiting period for Victor Oladipo, who they got in the KPJ deal in October. So, Right around December 15th, that's when the 60-day window passes and you can aggregate his salary with others as well. And so I've seen a lot of talk, why don't the Rockets try and combine some of these for a Clint Capella type? I'm actually not in favor of that unless you could do it for basically no asset cost. Like I would not give up a first-round pick for Clint Capella just because I don't think you desperately need a traditional backup center that badly. If Alperin Shingun is a star or something close to that, and I do believe now that he is, look, he's going to be playing 30-plus minutes per night. So we're only talking about, you know, 15-ish minutes for that role. And there's a lot of nights, we've seen it already, where you can get by with Jeff Green, with Jabari Smith Jr., with Jay Sean Tate, without having a true five. So I would just say moving forward, it's not so much, you know, it's not all about the fact that Landell has sucked. And you need someone desperately to replace what you thought you were going to get from Jacques in terms of a defensive-minded big. I think it's it's also how much do you need that role, period? Because if you look at this run, especially when the Rockets won those six straight games, there were a lot of matchups where you didn't really have a backup five, and that's fine. So to sort of spin the conversation forward, 
if Alperen Shingun is as good as we think he is, and I think the numbers are legitimate, he's clearly taken the leap, then why do you even need to spend this much time trying to fill this traditional backup five role in a season where, as you said, it's not like you're trying to win a championship this year anyway. So I would just say going forward, it's not just about, you know, they don't need to just force Shock Landale because they wanted his role to work out. I would also say don't force a replacement. Don't give up one of your limited first-round picks because the stepping rule, it's not like it's easy for them to trade a ton of first-round picks because they basically just have one per year moving forward, either their own or Brooklyn's. You know, don't try and force a square peg into a, a round hole. You may not need to fill that role with a defensive big anyway. Just roll with the guys like Jeff, like Javari, like Jay Sean, as long as he's here. And don't force a Capella or other defensive big replacement simply because you think you've got to fill that role. This is there's a lot of Rockets fans that, that I don't think have moved that have recalibrated to what Shingun has shown us. This is not the off season when they were looking at Brooke Lopez and the center position is basically like a timeshare. You know, 24 minutes per game for Brooke and 24 minutes per game for All P and sort of looking at Shingun as a part time player. No, if Shingun is a 30 minutes per game stud, and I think you'd be silly to say he isn't at this point, he's still improving, just 21 years old, then how important is this role anyway? That would be my take moving forward, not just for Jock, but in terms of potentially replacing him as well. I would just roll with your other more skilled options internally. Well, that goes back to my point where Jabari should be doing backup fives. Yeah. He should be part of the offense in a Capella or a guy like that playing with Jabari is 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 getting in his way and the other thing about that is capella is not the capella that you remember capella has diminished yeah. drastically the numbers are showing that he's not the same guy defensively so don't be confused well, with that and, and, so the, that, yeah. and the concern i have with with clint but it can go it can extend to a lot of different players what will they do if they get a dmp cd or a jock landale role where you just get token four right. minutes somewhere. I don't think Clint would gracefully accept that. And I think that's a problem. You have enough talent internally and you're still, you know, we're talking about struggling to find minutes for some of these guys. And Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore haven't even factored into the rotation for the, well, Cam hasn't at all. And Amen, it was only like three and a half games. So you need to open up more minutes, not less. So I would be very hesitant the way this team is constructed until there's a bigger consolidation move, and my guess is that's probably less likely until um, next offseason at the earliest, until there's a major consolidation move, then anybody you bring in, you need to make sure they're, you know, that they're not going to ruffle feathers. That's not going to be a big deal if they don't play at all or they get the, the token four minutes that Jock Landale gets, something like that. And with a Capella type, not only do they have certain limitations, as you, was, as you were laying out, I also don't think he would happily – you know, except uh, sitting on the bench role if Jabari is the better matchup on a given night. Remind people about the logger line and everything that you got going on. Oh, sure. Um, logger line sponsored by Carback Brewing. Uh, just search for the logger line at your podcast distributor of choice. I've got weekly episodes with Paolo Alves, my co-host. And then, of course, you can read my work at USA Today's Rocketswire, rocketswire.usatoday.com. Dot com got all of your daily Houston Rockets news coverage. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Dubose, or I suppose it's X now. I don't think I'm ever going to get used to that. But yeah, uh, Ben Dubose on Twitter, rocketswire.usatoday.com, and the logger line at your podcast distributor of choice. He's a podcasting machine. Thanks a lot, Ben. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.